Our gospel reading comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I am Reverend Jen Logsdon-Kellogg, and I am your Associate Minister of Evangelism. I have been here with you for just under two years, and today is my last Sunday to be with you in the sanctuary. I will be here next week, uh, leading 13th Street. And I just want to start out by saying to both those of you who are in the sanctuary with us and those who are worshiping online and on television, what a privilege and honor it has been to be a minister in this church. I am a proponent of both and. I love diversity. I love that this church is a church that celebrates the diversity of all people and looks to unify people who are in very different circumstances, in different backgrounds, different races, ages, nations, and languages. And that work has been evident in the entire time that I have been here. And I am so honored to have been a part of it. I arrived here in July of 2019, and uh, February 2019 is when the United Methodist Church had a general conference in which our conference decided that we would not only continue to discriminate against LGBTQ people, but that we will double down on punishment for those who tried to include. And David Wiggs, your senior minister, stood up against that and said, that's not okay. We are in Tulsa, 2021, 100 years since the race massacre which took place in the Greenwood District. We commemorated that event just last week, this last week. Your senior minister, Reverend David Wiggs, long before the 100th anniversary of the commemoration stood up and said, that's not okay. And he began a partnership with our sister church, Vernon AME. He began leading this church in dealing with our racist past. And he began a process that will continue long after the commemoration was over, in which we will continue to work toward racial justice. You are so privileged to be a part of this church, and so am I. So we celebrate that this church is a church that has preached the good news to all nations and all peoples and will continue to do so. So thank you. Now, this scripture that we are reading today is the Great Commission. It is considered uh, one of the, the most crucial pieces of scripture for Christians, for discipleship and evangelism. As the pastor of evangelism, I have had an opportunity to really look at the history of the practice of evangelism and to think about, from the perspective of Boston Avenue United Methodist Church, what should evangelism look like for us? 
Now, this scripture, the Great Commission, has been used to do evangelism in a way that has in some ways been very helpful and in some ways been very harmful. And so I've had to think a lot about how do we do evangelism in a way that invites and includes people without trying to assimilate them and change who they are and not make them into the disciples that we are, but make them into the disciples that God wants them to be and is calling them to be. Jesus says here, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey what I have commanded you. And in some situations, Christians with good intentions have taken that commandment and used it to try to obliterate the practices and traditions and cultural identity of people in the aim of making them into disciples. Now, as we were celebrating, not celebrating, commemorating the anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre, I watched some of the documentaries and listened to some of the documentaries and was very glad to hear that it was explained um, that our history in Oklahoma as it comes to racial diversity is unique. So I don't know if you have listened or if you already knew, but when Oklahoma was first settled, it was Indian Territory. Of course, the five civilized tribes had been moved here, um, coerced to come. And many of the, the, the people in those tribes were already Christian. They had already been um, approached by missionaries when they lived in the eastern part of the United States, and they were already Christian when they were moved forcibly to Oklahoma. Many of them also held people as enslaved people. So we had Native Americans who had enslaved African Americans who came with them to Oklahoma. Now at the time, white settlers that were here were either here illegally or attached to either the military or to the missions and later to the railroads. And so whites were the minority in the beginning in Oklahoma. There's a book that I want to recommend to you by Tash Smith called Capture These Indians for the Lord. And it is a look at, it's very specific to how the, United, how the Methodist Church was established in Oklahoma. The history of our very own conference is in this book, and it is tied up with all of these different parts of racism and assimilation. So initially, the Native American people who were here, uh, the white missionaries who tended to them, I firmly believe that the vast majority of those missionaries had in their hearts the good intention of approaching people with the good news, the gospel, so that they could come to know Christ and to become uh, disciples of Christ and be in relationship with God and with Christ 
in a way that would nourish them and help their community to flourish. I truly believe that. But the native peoples already had a relationship with God. And first of all, these are sovereign nations with different cultures and traditions, so forgive me for lumping native people into one category because that is not true. But they already had relationships with God and ceremonies and rituals that celebrated their relationship with God. And in the establishing of Christian mission to these nations, some missionaries took the approach that they could learn from the native people. And it would be a shared exchange of of information and ritual and relationship. And that's not a bad thing. That's a very good thing. But other missionaries took the approach that any expression of faith that was not consistent with the faith as we, the white tradition, had learned it, was not okay. And in fact, it was in some ways expedient for tribal leaders to allow the Christian missionaries to do this. And so this book by Tash Smith explains how matters of power and politics and ownership of land and access to resources, including education, were all at play in how our conference was established and how the power unfolded. And so we established boarding schools and invited, at first, it was an invitation for Native American people to allow their children to go to white church-run boarding schools so that they could learn to assimilate to white culture, so that they could learn English, so that they could learn the uh, way of functioning in the world that was the white way. And some tribal leaders thought that this was a good idea, and they signed contracts with churches to run missionaries and encouraged their people to send their children to these boarding schools. Assimilation was seen in some ways as a good thing. And yet in other ways, it was a terrible thing. You've heard about critical race theory. It's a buzzword going on right now. Um, We have had some discussions about this in Oklahoma recently. And I would say that critical race theory isn't a bad thing. Critical race theory would look at this situation and say, we have good, faithful people who are trying to be in relationship with others and to do the best they can with what they know. And inadvertently, because of the actions of individuals who were working within a system, the way the system works is what caused the harm. The way the system works is what took Native ministers who had the authority to preach and teach and lead their own communities and initially were considered equal 
with the white missionary pastors, the circuit riders who came to Oklahoma. Critical race theory would help us explain how gradually over time their authority and power in their own communities was diminished. And they became evaluated by standards that did not fit their culture. And they became disempowered to lead their communities. This is our history. We celebrate, I celebrate, that this history is coming to light and that we have reason to talk about it and that we have committed as a church to continue to examine the ways that the things that we have done have caused harm and to acknowledge and to rectify that harm. That is a good thing. So it's important for us to recognize that good people acting with good intentions can inadvertently do harm. Now, in this Great Commission, Jesus says, Go, therefore, and teach people to obey the things that I have commanded. So I started looking back through the Gospel of Matthew and saying, well, what is it that Jesus actually commanded people to do? What is it that Jesus taught the disciples to do, and how did he teach them? And so how should we take that instruction and apply it to doing ministry and mission and evangelism in our own context? Well, first of all, we do it because Jesus said so. But if you remember, Jesus very rarely sat down and said, here is exactly what you should do and how you should do it. Rather, Jesus wandered around the countryside, looking at people and accepting them as they were and evaluating their situation and saying, this one needs to be healed, and so I will heal. And this one needs to be included, and so I will include. Jesus looked at the people who were marginalized and said, I want to be in your house. I want to be in relationship with you. He showed up to the places where the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners were hanging out. And he didn't try to change them. He didn't try to turn them into the same as the disciples who were following around. He instead... He said, I want to be with you where you are. Now, he did say, repent, change your hearts and your lives. Recognize that I am the same as the Father. And recognize the ways in which the way you're living is not consistent with me, Jesus. But he doesn't point to the disciples and say, you need to be like them. In fact, when Jesus heals the centurion's servant, he doesn't say to the centurion, you need to renounce Rome before I will heal your servant. When Jesus talks to the Syrophoenician woman who presses and pushes him, he initially says to her that I have come just for the children of Israel, and when she pushes, he admits that she is also entitled to his grace. 
In fact, the only people that Jesus had harsh words for at all were the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And in the Gospel of Matthew, he's particularly hard on them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So it's the people who are trying to tell other people that they need to be like them, that he is the most harsh. So what does that look like for us? Well, in, in 2021 in Tulsa, for me as the minister of evangelism, it has meant looking at who is not here. Now, we have, I'm, we have a full staff, and we have a wonderful church and ministry that is equipped to minister to everyone who finds themselves in our building, worshiping with us online, who finds us in any way. But my question as the minister of evangelism is to look around and say, who's not here? Who is not represented? Go, therefore. My way of being in the world and in ministry is to go. So when I first arrived, I started walking downtown and around the neighborhood. I started walking to the gathering place. I started looking around when I was leaving here on Sunday morning wondering, who is it that doesn't have a church? Who is it that doesn't even think about seeking out a church? And how is it that Jesus would want me to go to them? I would say that all of us, and I've taught this to you as members, all of us are called to witness to our faith, to tell the story of how Jesus grabbed a hold of us and what it is that we gain from being in relationship with Christ. And here's the thing about more progressive Christians is that we have a tendency to assume that people have had an opportunity to hear about Jesus and that we don't want to force ourselves or our beliefs on them. So that's a very different attitude than some other denominations that have a strong missional uh, identity. So we've kind of overcorrected, I would say, and we don't talk enough to people outside the church about why Jesus. Thinking about the LGBTQ community, a people that have great affinity in my heart, many do not feel welcome for good reason. Not in Boston Avenue, because we've said, not only are you welcome, but you are wanted and you are affirmed, but in churches in general. There's a book that I read for, to my children when they were little called The Green Queen, and I can't remember the author, but I can vividly remember the illustrations. The Green Queen lay in her red bed and looked at the gray day. But she had to go out, so she got up, she put on her black jacket and her blue shoes, 
and her yellow and purple and magenta and turquoise, all the colors of the rainbow scarf. And she went out. The Great Commission is our reminder that Jesus has equipped us to go out and to invite and to share and to help people become who God created them to be. And that together, all nations, tribes, races, languages will be represented in the kingdom of God. In Revelation 7, 9, there is a description of the people gathered around Jesus, around the throne. And it says, people of all nations, ages, races, tribes, languages will be there. Jesus ends this great commission by the reminding the disciples that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. And you may notice, Jesus doesn't ascend in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel ends with Jesus still present with the disciples. So even as we go through this season now where you have pastors transitioning, you are sending us out to continue the celebration and the work of unity and diversity that Reverend David Wiggs has taught and led us to do. And remember that even though we are not here physically with you, we are all together because of Jesus uniting us. And we go out because you have sent us and equipped us just as Jesus sent and equipped the disciples. So thank you for that. And I've loved being here as your pastor. And I'm so honored to have been a part of this tradition. Amen. <laughs>